Hello, listeners. I am your chronicler and host, Fiona L.F. Kelly, and we are here for a very special episode of Fables Around the Table Curse. Uh, I am joined here by a couple of people. I am very, very excited to do this episode. I've been looking forward to it since we uh, wrapped our last episode back in June. And uh, would the people joining me like to introduce themselves? Hi, I'm Michael Addison. I'm one of the two creators of The Curse of the House of Brookwood. Yeah, I'm Brian Bing. Uh, I wrote the book based on a bunch of ideas that Mike had, and then we threw it back and forth for a while, and that ended up with the book that you guys were using for your Amazing Chronicle. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. And I'm Tom. I'm like a producer, co-writer on the on the show, on um fails around the table curse yeah we we use producer i think uh to in clarify yeah we used it in kind of weird way tom was there um during the recording of every episode to make sure that we had a master like call audio basically and he also helped me write the plot a little bit so let's dive into some questions that people asked uh the first question is from me um <laughs> uh what do you guys think you know, having listened to the show, um, what do you think that players to uh, who are new to the Curse of the House of Rookwood wouldn't necessarily be getting from the show? Like, what cool stuff in the system did we like? You know, not get to for various reasons. Not or, to say that the show isn't yeah. like great, obviously, but <laughs> or if we screwed anything up, set the record straight. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure that we mess up a bunch of rules. <laughs> We're just cutting right to the quick of it, yeah. aren't we? Um, well, first of all, I I want to say that I think you did a, a great job especially considering the format. I know it's a challenge to both tell a story and perform a story and also learn a new system. So um, <laughs> thank you. get that out of the way. I am kind of curious. One thing I'm curious about is how you manage skeletons during play. So um, in each, when you create characters for a family, each character ends up with a skeleton, which is a problem that haunts one relationship between themselves and another family member. And uh, it functions within the, the game to help you restore dice as you lose them naturally through risking dice to accomplish things you want to accomplish in the story. So I was curious how um, how your group had chosen to use those because it seemed like there really weren't opportunities... Like, there were a lot of nuanced relationships, but it wasn't always clear whether any of that was happening behind the scenes. Right. Yeah. Um, skeletons were one that I, like, wish we could have gotten into uh, more through the telling of the story. But because the because the show is so short, it's really only, like, an extra long, uh, you know, one session, uh, basically. But, um, yeah, they, they did all write out their skeletons and everything. Um, I think that you get some of what their skeletons were, like, um, uh, I'm trying to think what some of them were. Like, Alistair's was that he regained Lost Dice when he was able to uh, insult Virgil, like, his intelligence specifically, and the fact that he didn't finish school. Um, but, yeah, we didn't get to it a whole lot, admittedly. <laughs> a lot of that was that there wasn't a whole lot of rolling going on. Yeah. Uh, we really didn't right, edit yeah. out a bunch of rolls. That was kind of... the That was what the players sort of brought, was that they kind of said they wanted almost like a slow burn, very low key. Like, like, the players were the ones who basically came in and said, 
we don't actually want to be monster hunters in this yeah. generation. Yeah, that was sort of like the stressful part, I think, for me, is that there's a game about monster hunting. And then as we were answering, you know, the seven curse questions and also talking about um, what we wanted the structure of the podcast to be, they were like, oh, yeah, we want this generation to not be monster hunters. I'm like, OK, how are we going to adjust this? <laughs> that, that was a good question, though. I, I was wondering if that would come up that we didn't really get to skeletons too too much because we did have a couple instances especially with nick of him you know losing all sorts of dice yeah um and i did i think mention to them a couple times like through our you know text chat like hey make sure you're like looking at your skeletons and whether or not that happened i honestly don't know but <laughs> <laughs> there was there was enough nuance going on with the relationships just through natural play that um that I think they they told a great story and captured the feel of the game, even if the skeletons were just kind of there, but not necessarily like having a lot of mechanical impact. So right, yeah, they definitely set the tone for how how these characters related. They, yeah. they played a big role, even if they didn't come up on screen a whole lot. Yeah, as I was listening to it, I was kind of trying to guess like what are the skeletons and desires on these people because it. <laughs> I noticed a lot of patterns, like the JC, every episode has to mention that Gail has this public face that she wears and it's not the real thing. And <laughs> like Virgil's always running off to his workshops. I think well, that's probably his desire is to go and like be in there alone away from everybody else and do his thing. Yeah. Gail and Penny definitely had some sort of rivalry. I'm not sure which direction oh, yes. was stronger there. <laughs> um, I think that Penny's whole goal was to um, feed JC information and sort of like undermine what Gail was doing as a parent so that she could have like the stronger relationship with him. Um, and that came out like a little bit. She sort of went back on that in the last episode, I thought, where she, you know, had probably the most sincere moment of the uh of the series with her sister yeah i i agree i think that they sort of came out you definitely saw that there were um conflicts and i think that the one that came out the most was um was alistair where he had this whole conflict where uh he he was writing the book about the family and that was his you know whole goal and i was like well we need to make sure that that doesn't happen real fast, uh, which is what inspired most of the first episode. But yeah, we didn't really get to get down into like the nitty gritty um, mechanics of like skeletons and, and, you know, like bringing your skeleton out of the closet and everything like that. But I think that it showed in like sort of subtle ways when hopefully everyone buys the book because this is a great system. They will see more about that and more of what we were trying to do. And I do think it is a really cool system and just a really cool way to encourage the characters to really build out those relationships with each other early yeah on. even if it wasn't like mechanically informing what they did too much it definitely like defined their characters everyone like stuck to their character sheets uh pretty closely i thought yeah and that's that's just as important i mean that's a big part of that exercise is so that you go in locked and loaded with all of these conflicts and uh then you play to really big moments like the <laughs> dramatic end <laughs> <laughs> yeah that was uh that was a fun bit <laughs> yeah <laughs> i think if you're being really dramatic without the the rules you don't really need it but if yeah. you go out there and you try and do a lot of monster hunting type stuff and you burn through all your dice then the game encourages you to like 
take a break from that yeah. and go and like yeah. get into an argument with your brother and stuff like that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that makes a lot of sense as a pacing sort of thing. Yeah, yeah and I sure. think that that's a lot of too why people sort of like forgot it was a thing <laughs> because they were they weren't losing that much dice. I mean, when they were using their powers, it was um, with only a few exceptions. It was to antagonize each other. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Which might have very well just, you know, had them get those dice back yeah. right then and there. But <laughs> um, okay, so should we move on to another question? Yeah, do it. Yeah, uh, this this one comes from our cast. So after that sort of intense first question uh, from the whole cast, uh, who was your favorite Rookwood on our show? <laughs> Put him on the spot. Yeah, <laughs> I think for for me, my my favorite changed like periodically throughout the series but um really the one that that stuck with me the most was gail mostly because she right. she eats her problems and i thought that was just <laughs> such a, a brilliant take on that curse yeah, she swallows a lot of anger yeah <laughs> eats her feelings <laughs> yeah yeah i yeah during our like initial talk about everything I told, I, I mentioned that I wanted to get into like body horror and such because I thought that that was a, a really interesting aspect of the game and also a really interest a, a really interesting aspect of horror in general. And Chelsea was like, "Got it." So Gail eats her problems and uh, they use the family members as decorations. And I'm like, "That is body horror." Yes, thank you, Chelsea. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, my favorite was a. Uh... I guess split between Virgil for his eccentricity and JC for all the snarky teenage attitude. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think between the two of them, they kept a lot of like pressure on everybody else to keep moving and oh yeah, like, keep the yeah. drama. Yeah. Anytime like like people are trying to calm things down, one of them would have to like butt in and say something to set things off again. You know. <laughs> That, that's what I think they're both like really good at just having played other games with them is um, Nick when we're not making him be a forever DM he he loves to just throw a wrench in everyone's plans and it, <laughs> it turns into such beautiful disasters and uh, Dan Dan really loves being a somewhat antagonistic player he's character. A troll. He's a troll. He, at yeah. He's like how do I take what everyone's doing and just break it in half? Yeah. Um, Tom who was your favorite? Who was my favorite? Oh no you gotta love Penny right yeah penny's Absolutely. great like she always had like the clap back <laughs> <laughs> yes <laughs> well yeah i don't think i like heard her half the time when we were recording it but as i was like going back and like <laughs> you know editing everything i would just hear these things that she would mutter mutter under her breath and i was just like i love penny <laughs> <laughs> so who didn't get any love uh alistair yeah oh I like well, at least the too. straight man. The straight man, if they're doing yeah. their job well, they... <laughs> yeah. And he did a fantastic job. He did. He did. I, I love Alistair, too. He was he was great at just, like, having these plans and being such a good sport when we just destroyed them yeah. all just at the beginning <laughs> of the series. Um, but he did a really good job, especially having never met Chelsea and then playing so well being married yeah. to her I thought yeah those two players have never met in real life as far as wow. i'm aware yeah or even online prior to that yeah yeah they just <laughs> didn't know each other i don't think they're just from like different yeah. ends of our friends i guess yeah but annie and garrett who are alistair and penny are married yeah in real life um fun fact i guess <laughs> <laughs> yeah i think if this were a if this were a longer running series i think alistair would have been the 
like the viewpoint character because he's the one that has to have everything explained to him so like the yeah. audience gets all the information yeah. through him yes yeah yeah I, 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 he he served that function i think a little bit um in this series too i mean the first episode um uh, i did not actually intend elias to be like as present as he was but i'm like you know when you're answering the questions there's so much focus on like the progenitor and um then you know that they do all these horrific things with all their family members after they pass so i'm like we need elias to show up and uh you know alistair was just sort of the perfect person to do that <laughs> but let's move on to uh another question uh this this question comes from our friend kitty who plays kelly in the third episode and then is also in subsequent episodes but silently um how did you all come up with the curses and uh what did you do to balance them with one another uh interesting question um so the the curses are I'm going to answer answer the second part first <laughs> and then we can talk about the first part second. <laughs> um so in terms of balance, we we really just tried to make them all feel like they could do more than one thing. And um since I I don't know if this hopefully this comes through in the rules, you you are you have freedom as a player to decide how you want to use your curses. You're not limited to what's just listed under the description. So um, we we kind of think of them sort of like X-Men powers. So you know how like Magneto, he has control over magnets and magnetism and metal. So anything a comic book writer can think of that Magneto can do that's clever with with those powers, they can do that in this issue. So like in the X-Men movie, when Magneto lifts Wolverine off the ground because he has an adamantine skeleton, that's... <laughs> you just have to say what you want to do and roll for it. And if yeah. you get a good roll, then you can do what you want to do. So in terms of balance, we just tried to make them all feel uh, feel like you could do something satisfying. And like I said, yeah. more than one thing. So you could solve different types of problems with the same power. Yeah, I think we actually mentioned at the beginning of that section that it should be able to do a lot of different things but it shouldn't be able to do everything because you need to have like your family fill in the gaps that you can't do right yeah yeah and of course the secret sauce is that to really do big stuff you end up burning dice which is the real limitation and i think what sort of puts them on mechanical equal footing in a lot of ways is that the gm can just impose additional risks like additional stakes you have to overcome to achieve your goals so yeah i think there's a little bit there where the the chronicler is just kind of able to balance it out at the table based on feel yeah yeah though that yeah that's a good point and there needs there does need to be some honesty um usually when like when i'm the chronicler i will have a conversation with the player about what the stakes are i'll i'll okay. often pose it to the player to decide what their risks are in addition to their rewards. Okay. That's cool. I like that. Yeah, that's really interesting. It's mostly because I'm an incredibly lazy GM. I, <laughs> I don't have to make any choices. Oh, yeah, tell me what could go wrong. Oh, yes, I hadn't thought of that. <laughs> yeah. Now I want to like, go back and record the whole show. That's a good idea. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, with, the, yeah, with the skeletons, there's like two ways to get rid of it, like the hopeful and the fearful. Like, I hope I can do this to resolve it, and I'm afraid it'll end up like this, but either way, it's going to be over. You can do the same thing with the risks and rewards. You just ask the player, well, what do you hope to achieve by doing that? 
and what do you think might go wrong? And then that's the risks and rewards right there. You just, the chronicler only has to decide how many pieces to break those things into. So one thing that I had been wanting to ask about is like what specific like works, like media properties, works of literature, like whatever, like what do you see as kind of like the foundational texts that went into this sort of like this game that went into what this game is trying to do what was like the inspiration there um well first of all edgar Allan poe right house of yeah mm-hmm. house of, <laughs> of house of usher yeah um for me the i have two comic series that were big influences uh league of extraordinary gentlemen you have this okay. group of like that's sort of where the idea of like a, a team of sort of gothic superheroes running around fighting monsters and and having having feelings <laughs> okay uh, and then um the comic book umbrella academy which mm, okay. it's uh it starts out with it's a family of superheroes it's all children and it kicks off with the death of their or the funeral of their adoptive father and all of their broken feelings with trying to deal with his death and their childhood and it's brilliant Okay. So, okay, that makes a lot of sense. So to you, (laughs) it almost sounds like this was, like, in your head, a mashup of, like, Edgar Allan Poe gothic horror with, like, superhero, like, X-Men type stuff. Yes, absolutely, Okay, okay. I had not made the superhero connection, but that makes a lot of sense. (laughs) the, The way that I always describe it is, it's like, what if the Incredibles dressed like the Addams Family? Mm. Ah, okay. Like, okay. like they've they've got all these powers and stuff, but they've also got these interpersonal issues in the family. But then they've got this dark gothic style. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. Yeah. I had not made the superhero connection, but that makes a ton of sense. I really like that. That's yeah. cool. Yeah. Yeah. I I definitely got the Adams family vibe. So I think I I was like Tom, where like I. I, I like sort of was like vaguely aware that they were superheroes. Like I thought about like comic books and um, you know obviously different like big properties media like that of people who have like these extraordinary powers. But I guess I didn't think of it like so directly. Like you know they basically are just dysfunctional superheroes. You yeah. Know? <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. Michael mentioned the uh, Michael mentioned the X Men earlier, and the X Men are a good example of like a Rookwood family because yeah they've got all these cool powers and stuff and Wolverine can regenerate. But the stories are always about the love triangle between Cyclops and Jean Grey and Wolverine. Right, yeah. So, like, it, the way they feel about each other is just as important as what superpowers they can do. And even, like, big antagonists are often just, like, sort of um, estranged members of the family almost. Yeah. Right, yeah. Yeah, like, That's Magneto cool. is the, the weird uncle that they <laughs> don't see very often because yeah. he had a falling out with Dad, you know. Oh, I like that so much. <laughs> That's so good. Um, okay, what's another question? Do, do, do. What uh what is both of your backgrounds in like uh developing and playing games? Like how how did you get into uh writing and designing? When I was a kid, I watched the Dungeons and Dragons cartoon on TV, and then one day I was in a bookstore and I saw the monster manual on the shelf and I was like, "Oh, they made a book out of it." Oh, <laughs> and, then, and then suddenly it's like, oh, there's like this whole world out there, this stuff. And then I got into it 
later when I was in high school and I met some other people that were already playing. And then I went to college and I met Michael. And then we started making up our own stuff. And like, it seemed like every weekend one of us would have like some new idea, like a new thing we could do to try out. And okay. Then one day I was looking at a, a website for the, a game supplement that was coming out. And I was just talking with people on the forum and guessing about what's going to be in it. And then the editor came on and said, are you like hacking my computer and reading my notes? That's exactly what's going to be in it. And <laughs> like, would, would you mind like helping us out, like typing some of this stuff up? And oh, it suddenly awesome. occurred to me that like, well, you could like do this for real, like to make, make your own stuff for real. <laughs> yeah. Oh, well, I was going to say for me, uh, I, I quickly realized, uh, like after college and after we kind of lost that environment where we could work on things together and bounce ideas off together, um, that I didn't have the ability to sit down and write something by myself. <laughs> I was looking that. in the yeah. back of an RPG book and there's like a list of 30 people like, well, like RPGs are a big passion for me. So I, I switched over to, to doing board game design. That's, that's, you don't need to, you don't need to write 200, 300 pages worth yeah. of content. You yeah. Can, <laughs> You just need to have a, a good like internal system and good yeah. presentation. Um, and a couple of years ago, I I finally got myself in a position where I could I could start publishing games, and I did a little like a small game on Indiegogo that was successful. And uh, when Brian kind of deposited a manuscript <laughs> in my lap a couple of years ago, <laughs> I was like, I just shared my notes with him on this idea that this is. It's it was a thing that I had been playing with friends for like five years or so, just kind of off and on, and he he essentially turned those notes into an actual game, <laughs> and wow. a well written one at that. So, wow. uh, and that's and that's how Rookwood came to pass. Oh wow! Okay, that's awesome. <laughs> it was kind of weird. Like I I moved away overseas. So I didn't see anybody, and I was talking to him online, and he said that he was doing this game with some people that we knew like once a year when people get together because the the way the chronicles work where it's a generation apart you're kind of continuing the story but you don't have to have the same people as last time oh, right so, okay. don't so have you to can, remember where you left you left off yeah, yeah. yeah don't remember where you left off and i thought oh that's cool can i see your notes and i was looking at them and i fiddled around with them a bit and tried to make something of it and then i forgot for like a year <laughs> And then I mentioned to him, like, oh, did you ever do anything with that? And he said, oh, yeah, I changed everything completely. And he showed me this, like, second draft of, like, a completely different system. And I said, oh, let me try that. And I was fiddling around with that, too. And then I completely forgot about it again. And then, <laughs> like, a couple years ago, it was coming up on October, and I was thinking of Halloween stuff. And I thought, oh, you know, I should get that out again and take a look at it. And then I had an idea for the, the system that seemed like it would fit perfectly with it. So I suddenly just had this urge to write it. I just pounded it out. And then I sent it to him and said, check this out. What do you think? And he's like, oh, yes. What do you want to do with it? <laughs> yeah. The, I, I mean, this game, like, really so perfectly, I think, like, captures something that I haven't really seen in a lot of games before, um, you know, unless they're, like, setting agnostic, basically, that you could, like, get you know the adams family with the incredibles like you know uh put mechanics and not very hard mechanics at that to this feeling of um being in this very dysfunctional relationship but ultimately one that helps everyone so 
I'm so glad you guys are. Uh, you guys are. I'm glad that you, you that you kept pulling it out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And every year or two, we would like bring it up again, and then think about it for a couple of weeks, and then forget about it for another year, and then the last time that happened, it, like things finally snapped into place, and everything fell together, and it worked pretty well. Wow. And, yeah. And Michael took it around to some conventions to play test it, and it seemed to work really well. Like everything went yeah. smoothly, so. I don't think I ran a single bad game and it had nothing to do with me. It was what people brought to the table. Almost every group I played with, just people yeah. relate to family and right, they yeah. get the relationships. It's yeah. it's really fun to just play with anybody. <laughs> yeah. I mean that's what we found that the players brought so much personality and so much drama to the table that it's almost like like all you had to do was kind of sit back and like yeah i was just let things yeah happen. um and that's yeah. the style i wanted and i i think i had told them that that i wanted to just sort of like set the scene and let them go but um we were actually i was really worried because you know they were playing a family half of them had never even met um in real life so i'm like okay let's try to uh get like a little mini game out everyone can like play with the rules they can you know get to know each other stuff like that and then i think i was i was cat sitting my mom's cat as we were like trying to do this and it was getting really late and everyone's like oh let's just skip that let's just do the first recording and i'm like okay (laughs) we'll see how it goes and then just immediately everything clicked into place everyone like understood what everyone else was doing and i i think you're right it is that people relate so much to um family through all sorts of means through either their personal experience or like being able to pull from media properties or you know yeah people people really you know connect with this i think and are able to run with it i wanted to throw another question at you guys um so this game was kickstarted um and you know congratulations on success with that and everything i wanted to ask you like for you guys what was your experience of running a kickstarter campaign just like what were some of the cool things maybe what were some of the pitfalls or challenges like what is it like to run a kickstarter campaign for a game like this it's hard (laughs) 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 um like the biggest challenge is uh is knowing when you're ready i think Oh, yeah. And it's very easy to think, well, I've dotted all the I's and crossed all the T's and I've got this product and I think people are going to like it. And uh, OK, I'm just going to put it out there and see if if people get behind it. Yeah. Um, and if you you don't, you really need to put work into connecting with people beforehand, having people that will yeah. will back on day one. And that's something that uh it's 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 easy to to miss that piece but yeah right um, like you can't just throw it out there right you have to build up to it yeah um one of the things that's most rewarding about it is uh i think that all of the the positive attitude and like the personal investment that your your backers have once they once they've backed the project, then they they will tell you what they like and they don't like about what you're doing. <laughs> Fair, yeah. yeah. And you you have to think about it as like they they are telling you these things because they care about what you're doing, yeah. and that part's pretty amazing. Yeah, and they're yeah they're, their money where they're they invested is. in it before they get it. So yeah, right, right. yeah. <laughs> it's not like you don't but see no people pressure. go to the store. And... Like people don't go to the store and buy a book and then go home and take pictures with it, saying, "Look, I finally got the book." 
<laughs> with a, yeah, maybe, with a Kickstarter, they do that because they buy it and then they're waiting for it and they're hoping it's going to turn out great because yeah. they don't have it completely yet. You know, like we released the the rules early so people could see it, but they didn't really have like the complete book with all the details and everything. That was my favorite part was all the people posting pictures with the book, like, "Look, I got it! I got uh, it!" Yeah, I think I was the last one. <laughs> I was the last one to get a copy, so I'm like, oh. I'm gonna get mine. <laughs> Woof. <laughs> I wasn't planning to send myself a copy until I'd gotten everything shipped out, and then I was going to send a, a couple crates to myself, and I, I just couldn't wait any longer after seeing people. Like, I had to send myself a copy <laughs> so <laughs> I could see it. Otherwise, it would have you been You could indulge weeks. yourself a little bit. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you earned it. The book is very nice, by the way. Yeah, the book. Yeah, I was so excited. I was one of the people taking pictures of myself with the book and posting them on Twitter. <laughs> I was really excited <laughs> to get it. Um, Thank you. Yeah, that's a that's a culmination of our artist, Morgan Corbell. Um, boy, that was serendipity finding her. Uh, it was maybe a week after Brian had shared his final manuscript with me. And I just went on Twitter and started looking for artists and she was oh, looking wow. for work. And she was a UK artist that specialized in, in goth art and wow. the look of her art was perfect. And yeah. it, it just, it was like all of the, the fates aligned on that somehow. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> yeah. The book looks absolutely beautiful. Um, I love the cover, like the cover, like even the cover just is like, you know what this game is. It, nail, it nails the vibe. <laughs> yeah. 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 She did a great job. And, uh, and Megan Bennett Burke, she's our, our graphic designer. Um, I, I gave her some very limited, <laughs> a limited range of what she could do with it. Just, you know, just based on our budget. And I think she knocked it out of the park. We're using a lot of, of, of sourced images from like historical texts that are mm-hmm. in oh, okay. public domain. So a lot of public domain. That's cool. Yeah, and she she used a bunch of uh, just like goth gothic looking assets to to spruce it up and make it look nice. And yeah, that's one of the nice things about one of the nice things about having something set in a period before the twentieth century is all the <laughs> yeah. all the stuff all the from domain, then is right, public yeah. domain now. Yeah. Right. Like if you're if you're out there and you want to make a game with a lot of illustrations, just set it before Mickey Mouse was born. Yeah, <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, well, like League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, that was that was the concept there. The the writer saw all these great characters that were just in the public domain and said, "I'm going to make something new and interesting with it because mm-hmm. I can." Yeah. Yeah, we it, it was actually Chelsea who uh, found you guys on Kickstarter. She was on sort of like a Kickstarter kick of, <laughs> <laughs> of like, uh, she actually sent a bunch of games to us uh, in our Vampire the Masquerade, like, you know, LARP chat. And uh, she was like, uh, I was looking through them and we had already kind of been kicking around the idea for Fables Around the Table. And then I saw uh, Curse of the House of Rookwood and I'm like, this is a game that I want to play like so badly. Um, and I, I had sort of like proposed it to Nick and Tom and Tanner um, who are our other people who are all part of project derailed. And we talked about it for a while. And I think it was like the day the PDF came out. I was like, I'm pretty sure we want to do this. I'm just sort of going to like, look at the rules, make sure that like, you know, everything, you know, still coherent and everything. And, you know, it made me just want to play it even more. And I think I reached out to you like the next day or like two days later or something of being like, can we play your game on this podcast? <laughs> I was I was so pleased to get that message. 
I was like, oh, good. <laughs> uh, this, we aren't just shouting into a void. Someone, someone actually cares about what we're doing. So, yeah, that yeah. was great. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I was so excited to play it. I, I know everyone else was too. That we were all really looking forward to it, and it turned out really, really good. I'm, I'm very pleased with it. <laughs> yeah, awesome. Uh, yeah, Kickstarter is a great place to find little RPGs. RPGs from as just somebody that has a great idea that they're passionate about. Uh, not right. necessarily have a, a huge platform. Um, I have a friend that has a game out there right now. It's uh, it's also about families and the supernatural. It's called uh, Jiangxi, and you play a family of uh, immigrant immigrant uh, immigrant Chinese family, and you're running a banquet hall, but your community is being overrun by Jiangxi hopping vampires. And yeah, uh, it, the the game kind of focuses on like the family surviving a set number of days, and during the day okay. you're working together to try and manage a restaurant, and then at night the uh, the vampires come out and you have to deal with them. Yeah, that that's one. I think that I saw you tweeting about it, and I was like, <laughs> that's another one I really want to play. Yeah, I've actually had a chance to play that, and it's really great. Oh, good. Nice. Yeah. Uh, let's see. So listeners, take that one home to the bank. Yeah. That <laughs> yeah. Lock that yeah, down now. Yeah, this will be up, I think, in plenty of time for people to go support the Kickstarter. <laughs> so go support the Kickstarter. Here's a good question. Uh, we sort of talked about this a little bit um, in one of the earlier questions, but what uh, what inspired the mechanics of it? Like, um, you know, the players having like five D6s and the, uh, and the Chronicler like enumerating risks and, and such. Because I don't know if that is in other games, um, but I had not really experienced something like that. And I thought it was really interesting, especially when you get into the swing of it, of like you're not making... You know, you're not rolling a d20 and hoping to get like a 15. You're you have these challenges. You can do, you know, some approximation of what you're doing. But um, well, I guess I guess that's for, I guess that's a question I should answer since I wrote the the rule with that. Uh, yeah. And I guess the uh, the original inspiration for that came from the the Ouroboros engine by Levi Cornelson. It was okay. a a system. It was a system where, like the, the thing that really stuck with me from it was failure was an option like sometimes you can do something and like yeah you can definitely do it like the fail the forward question, sort of idea yeah yeah like the the question is like what consequences will happen if you do it like can you avoid yeah. all the bad stuff in in the course of accomplishing that and then like yeah, sometimes yeah. there's no way there's no way you can succeed but you can try to minimize the damage you know yeah so like sometimes there's, there's nothing there's no rewards it's just all risks and you just try to get rid of the risks and sometimes it's all rewards and you just want to see how many of them you can get yeah yeah so then so then it's always been in the back of my mind but since i saw that like years ago like use that in something else and it seemed like a really good fit here because there's Definitely. so many different things you can do with the curses like they, they're yeah. so open-ended you can do so many different things right and instead of just like you do it or you don't do it it's like well here's the things you want to do here's the things you don't want to happen you can't cover everything so you have to make decisions like it's like you is do it, worth, it but at what yeah, cost? Is it worth? <laughs> yeah, is it worth doing it? To do I take the penalty to get this, or do I vo avoid the penalty and let it go? Like yeah, it, it's yeah, yeah. not just a binary thing. You have to make decisions about what what's worth it and what's not. Yeah, I I really liked it, and I I thought it worked so well with this uh, 
this idea of sometimes sometimes you're just going off you're reacting like totally emotionally and you're willing to like take that risk and i know sometimes they even like <laughs> outlined a number of uh, risks that they had and i'd be like well you could like hurt this person they would be like i kind of don't care i kind of really care you know <laughs> yeah i thought that that was interesting mm-hmm. um thomas do you have any questions any more uh, questions hold on let me look at my list here Oh, so I did want to ask, so I did look at the Nerdy Pup website, and I saw a few different projects. So I guess I just wanted to ask you guys, both for, like, Nerdy Pup, or just, like, for anything else that you guys are part of, what else are you guys, like, working on, or have worked on, um, that you'd like to talk about for a little bit? Uh, well, for me, when we finished the Kickstarter for Rookwood, like, part of that money went to, like, me as the writer, and, like, some of the other contributors that are putting money in, or putting stuff in for the supplement that's coming out. So I took that money that I made and I dumped it into a bunch of other Kickstarters that were running at the same time. Because <laughs> oh. nice. I, I was like, oh, now that I've got all this like cash sitting there in my PayPal account, I'm going to like spend it on all these cool games that are out there okay. at the same time. And one of them, I backed the Kickstarter for Trophy. And then the, they had a contest to write an incursion, like a, a scenario or an adventure for trophy gold and i thought i don't know if i want to do that or not like i just 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 got my hands on the system i'm not really that familiar with it yet and then they say oh everybody who submits an entry will get like these cool souvenir coins and i thought well i want to get those coins so i'm gonna go ahead and, <laughs> <do it anyway." laughs> and like i made up this incursion and then they really liked it it was like one of the the two finalists and they they had a lot of nice things to say about it, so I figured, like, well, I guess I'll lay it out nice on a PDF and put it on itch. Okay. And then I looked at I looked at my Google Drive, and it's filled with stuff. And I'm thinking, like, well, maybe I should finish these things and put them onto PDFs and put them out there for sale too. The yeah. answer is yes. Yes, you should. Yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> I've got like dozens and dozens of half finished things, but I feel that. Yeah, that's that's very relatable (laughs) i guess now that things are like kind of taken off and people are liking it like there's like a positive feedback loop you know like seeing people taking pictures with the the rookwood book and then winning this contest for writing this adventure it's like well i guess i should keep it going while it's like like while the like strike while the iron's hot you know like while my motivation's up to keep going yeah you should definitely you should definitely do it. Yeah, man. I know. I love this one, so I'm sure I will love everything that you put out. <laughs> yeah, look, last night I just uploaded a new one called uh, Goose Moose Chimera, which was just like a, a joke that somebody made on Twitter. And I'm like, yeah, okay, I'll do it. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like a just a little short game where you play a creature that's half goose and half moose. <laughs> that's great. Just, I didn't know just, you did that. Just for oh, fun. I'll have to check that yeah, out. Just that's great. Yeah, is just, that like a one-page RPG sort of deal? And it's like four pages, but it's okay. like a a five size, you know. Uh, Michael, how about how about you? Like, what what other stuff has Nerdy Pup done, or like just you in general? Uh, sure. Yeah. So so Nerdy Pup is is kind of my my brand. Um, okay. So I have a I like I said I started out kind of in board games. So I have another I have another board game. It's a small card game called Dungeon Date that I'm I had planned to kickstart this year, but that might be 
I guess earlier this year, that might be later this year. We'll see. Okay. Um, you know, things are, this year is, is very 2020. Yeah. Uh, so, so dungeon date, the concept there is you are, uh, you're a fresh faced adventurer. You're trying to build a sweet adventuring outfit that has different qualities and then you use that outfit to romance, befriend and slay monsters in a dungeon. And it's all card based. It takes like 20 okay. minutes to play. You in that can, order, or are they different options? Uh, different options. So okay. you can you can focus <laughs> focus on those. <laughs> you focus on those in uh, as as much as you want. Like split your your attention between those different things, and uh, you can you can backstab a. Oh, like instead ahead. of having like a tank and a mage and a healer, you have like a romancer, like a friender and a slayer. <laughs> Uh, well, everyone's kind of competing against each other, so you're trying to uh, you can, like okay. steal someone else's boyfriend or uh, stab their friend and add them to your kill pile. And okay, that's much that's better than my thing. idea. <laughs> uh, so, so that should be I don't know. That's going to come out some sometime later this year. I'm hoping on okay. Kickstarter. Cool. Uh, and then I I have I have another RPG idea that I started working on last year. Uh, still working on it now. It's called uh, Rebels of the Outlaw Waste. You play, uh, you play rebels in uh, kind of a dystopian post-apocalypse. Uh, it's the setting is is created through a questionnaire at the be- beginning of the game, and okay. you are working as a group to try and overthrow authoritarian powers that be that are. Um, oppressing the downtrodden and it's essentially like my attempt to make a post-apocalypse setting as bright and positive and energetic and uh and exciting instead of you know okay. brown and dreary and depressing yeah yeah i like that that's cool <laughs> uh and then like the real cool hook about it is that your character sheet to improve your character you put stickers onto your onto your sheet as you like you'll you'll uh-huh. earn achievements and then you get little badges that are in stickers. That's pretty cute. Yeah. I, I like love that. that. <laughs> <laughs> uh and it's I'm I'm trying to I'm aiming for something that would will hopefully be accessible to folks that play like uh fifth edition Dungeons and Dragons. There are a lot of folks that are getting into okay. the hobby now. Yeah. And and especially through that game. Um and I think there are a lot of folks out there that are trying to that are trying to figure out what they want to play next and um Mm -hmm. so i'm trying to i'm sort of trying to design towards something that would be accessible to that but also have a lot of the same qualities that uh, that rookwood has where it's it's not too system heavy and it's yeah uh it's still there's still a lot of rich story involved yeah no i think that's pretty cool yeah do you have any last questions thomas because i think i was going to ask my last question i had others but we kind of hit on all of them <laughs> no that that burns through my short list here okay and good this is about how long i want this to be too so awesome Nailed it. um so last question this also comes from kitty um if you were a rookwood what curse would you have i wasn't expecting this question <laughs> <laughs> uh well what one way you can think about it is uh how 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 do you want to what demise do you want to eventually downward spiral towards? Right. <laughs> I think it would be be nice to either become a tree or a statue. So maybe maybe curse the dryad. 
Yeah, I was thinking of the gargoyle. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> then you can like go into the family room all nice, you know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Or just become the house. <laughs> yeah. I don't know that this is my favorite to have, but my favorite curse is uh, the curse of the rookery. I love the crows; they're awesome. Okay. Yes, yeah that that one just sounded like a really unpleasant end. <laughs> <It's> <laughs> yeah. Just you know, your crows eat you. Um, poor Penny. <laughs> you know, it's twenty twenty at this point. And I'm sure that that happened. Uh, yeah. You know, at um. some point. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. How about the two of you? What what would be your choices for curses? I I really liked Medusa's Veil. Um, if it at least if I were to play, I would probably want to play a character with Medusa's Veil. Um, I liked that, and I liked Curse of the Shroud. Those were probably my two favorite, or one of the ones we made up from the show, which was um, I can't think of the name of it, but instead of trees, it was flowers. I thought that one was really nice. Oh uh, yeah, I really liked the the custom curses that you came up with for your group um and that we we really like one of the things we were trying to do was make them a pretty simple blueprint or template that you could follow and then very easily just create a new one based off right. of your own ideas and a lot of the convention games i've run i'll sit down and be like well this is what it's like this is what a curse is in terms of, of the game and people immediately have ideas and really like, I have a list I can read from. And they're like, no, I'm going to do this. <laughs> and <Yeah. laughs> they are almost always fantastic. So that's yeah. Cool. Yeah. That's what, that's what Nick came to me with. He was like, well, I want him to, instead of burning heartbeat electricity and like, you know, he was born on this thunderstorm or something. He had like a whole thing in his backstory about <laughs> it, but uh, it was, it was pretty cool. <laughs> nice. I don't know if I have a great answer. Because I haven't had to make a character, so I've only kind of skimmed through the curses. Yeah. Um, so am I choosing based on what I think I would like, or what I would be cursed with? It's up to you, <laughs> however you want to interpret it. <laughs> um, I think matching my personality would probably be Gaping Maw. <laughs> That's, yeah. <laughs> Which That's is a little bit one. of a self-own. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. So, um, that is all of our questions, I think. Uh, where can we find you guys on social media? Like, what what projects of yours can we find if we are interested in uh, more of your works? Um, so, for me, you can find me at Nerdy Pup Games on pretty much everything. Twitter, Facebook, etc. And then, uh, and then we also have a page on itch.io. Yeah, I'm uh, Ryan Bing on Twitter and on itch, too. So, like B R I A N B I N H. So, at on Twitter and dot itchio. So, thank you all for listening. Uh, next week, we are going to be doing another QA, but this time with the cast. So, if you are listening to this uh, as soon as it came out, you still have some time to get some questions in to our wonderful cast, and we will be going over um, all of what was going on in the characters' heads through the game. Uh, so Yay, thank you for listening. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> thank you for listening and goodbye.
Introducing Tales of the Voidfarer. Join the spacefaring adventures of a group of misfits in this D&D 5th edition podcast inspired by the 2nd edition setting, Spelljammer. My name's Marco Astorio. My character is a gif yankee. My character is a doar. Adorable little penguin people. You're Ravnus, right? Yes. And you are? It's a pleasure to meet you. My name's Luckby Cumble. My name is Captain Valeria Rain, and welcome aboard the Voidfarer. Luckbeak, Ravnus, come on! There's so much to see over here! Catch new episodes of Tales of the Voidfarer every other Tuesday, wherever you get your podcast fix. <laughs> that's funny. Wait, did you just hmm? say that's funny and not laugh, Ravnus? We really have to work on your social skills. <laughs> Projectderailed.com